Okay, so we're back to uh, learning about the church, and um, do ask that you continue to be praying for um, issue one um, and uh, just the end of abortion in our land. Um, if you weren't here last Sunday for um, the special Sunday school that Deacon Alton C. and I did, I encourage you to look at that online and... Um, we do need to be urgently in prayer and also just talking with our friends and neighbors about this issue. There's a lot of ignorance on this issue. Um, so I refer you to that. Um, we've been talking past couple classes on the doctrine of the church about what are we supposed to be doing? What's our mission? Um, and we've talked about how it's a really big mission, right? We talked about the, the city of God coming to earth. And... Um, the glory of what Jesus has accomplished, he, he has accomplished redemption. But what are we seeing in this present age? We're seeing the Spirit now applying redemption um, to this broken world. And that means a renovation of every sphere of our lives. Uh, when you come to know Jesus, it is a, an entirely new identity that impacts absolutely everything about who you are and what you do. Um, there is no limit to the influence and the effects of Jesus on your life. Um, and that's really good news because what that means is that as far as the curse is found so far, will God's love reach and his redeeming grace. So when you think about that and you think about, wow, God's plan is to make a new heavens and a new earth. God's plan is to see um, that new heavens and new earth begin to take shape um, in the hearts of his people. And even in this present life, how we live in this creation is going to be reflecting the new person, the new people that we are in Christ. Um, that's a really huge mission. What we're going to start talking about today is what has God given us to make us adequate for the mission? Um, how has God equipped us to be able to do this awesome, huge mission of being the people of God and seeing his kingdom come? Well, biggest of all is that God has given us himself. Um, remember, the very first thing after Jesus is raised from the dead, Pentecost. He pours out his spirit. And the implications of that are so vast that really um, every single class about the church is really also about the Holy Spirit. <laughs> um, we've already talked about the gifts of the spirit, that what is the church? We are the community of the Holy Spirit. And we talked about all the gifts God's given us. And the varieties of gifts, right? Like, not all of us are strong in the same ways, right? But that's a good thing. Um, we already talked about that in class four. He's given us so many other good gifts through his spirit. We're going to be um, talking about in days ahead, talking about church officers, Lord's Day. But for today, I want to talk about how the spirit works through the means of grace. And I already mentioned this quote from Lightheart, but I really like it. Um, Jesus says, Go. Make disciples of all nations. And then we're saying, whoa, this is a big job. And he says, here, I'm going to give everything you need. And he hands us wine, bread, and a book. <laughs> Go. <laughs> and we're saying to ourselves, what? You know, like, how is that going to be sufficient? <laughs> uh, well, here's how. Um, the means of grace. In this church, we are really big on the means of grace. What are these means of grace? Ray Ortland has a great article on it. I just want to share a good quote that kind of sets the stage for this. The means of grace answers these questions. 
How do I, as a believer, access the grace of the Lord for my many needs? Where do I go? What do I do to connect with the real help he gives to sinners and sufferers here in this world? I know I am saved by his grace alone, but at a practical level, how do I come to him for his grace? Does everybody understand the question? This is a really very practical question, right? Like, if you've ever experienced this feeling of like, I don't feel like I have a lot of power right now. I don't feel very strong right now. I feel very weak right now, and I need God right now. What am I supposed to do? Answer, the means of grace. And Westminster Shorter Catechism 88 is asking the exact same thing that Ortland is asking in those questions, just in an older, old-fashioned, more old-fashioned way of saying it. What are the outward means whereby Christ communicates to us the benefits of redemption? Do you realize that's the same question of what Ortland was asking? What are those outward ways, those concrete, tangible ways whereby Christ gives us what he purchased on the cross? Answer. This is what the Shorter Catechism says. The outward and ordinary means whereby Christ communicates to us the benefits of redemption are his ordinances. In other words, the things he ordained. These are not things we made up. Especially the word, sacraments, and prayer, all which are made effectual, in other words, effective, to the elect for salvation. Okay, so the means of grace are those places that God has appointed where he has concentrated his availability. I like that. Of course, we can experience God's grace in all kinds of other areas of life, right? Like um, beautiful, beautiful fall weather we've been enjoying. You know, these are, these are signs of his love, right? And um, tangible pictures of I'm a gracious God. But he's concentrated his grace and made his, himself especially available like a gushing fountain of mercy for sinners who are so desperate that they are finally coming to Christ on his terms in the means of grace. And it's so important what he says there, you know, it's a gushing fountain of mercy for sinners who are finally willing to come to Christ on his own terms. Like, okay, Lord, I've been trying all these other ways to find you and to experience your power, and I'm still coming up dry. I'm finally willing to come to you in the way you've told me <laughs> to come to you. And what, are, what, what did you actually say about where you're going to meet me? Oh, the means of grace? Okay. I accept, because I really need it. So what are these means of grace? And what are the promises that attend these means of grace? And I, I particularly want us to think about that, the promises that attend these means of grace, because this is why we are so big on the means of grace in this church. Because nothing else in all creation have, has these kinds of promises attending it. Okay, so the means of grace... Number one, the preaching of the scriptures. What promises attend the preaching of the scriptures? Well, here's just a very short and overly compact list. The preaching of the scriptures is how we receive forgiveness of sins and our heavenly inheritance. In short, our salvation. I am not ashamed of the gospel, Romans 1.16, for it is the power of God for salvation. What's the power of God for salvation? The gospel, the preaching of the good news. So the preaching of the good news is the power of God for salvation? Sounds big. The word is what gives us faith. You know, uh, Paul says in the famous passage, how will they believe if they have not heard? How will they hear if no one 
doesn't proclaim it to them. How will um, someone pr proclaim it to them unless they are sent, right? Um, the word is the way in which God gives faith. How do people become Christians? Because somebody tells them about Jesus, right? Um, the word is how we get joy. Um, Psalm 19 is a wonderful celebration of the word, right? Um, better than honey, um, better than precious gold. That's how great the word is. It gives us joy and delight. It gives us comfort. Comfort, comfort, ye my people. Isaiah 40, right? It's the preaching of the word that gives that comfort. Um, it gives prosperity. Joshua 1.8 and Psalm 1, you could quote that as well. Um, you know, it puts us, being next to the word is like being a tree next to a flowing stream of water. Where you're just, you're just abounding. In the deep sense of the word abounding, I'm not necessarily talking about, okay, you're going to get like hugely wealthy in terms of worldly terms, but it does bring prosperity of life. Like you become a thriving olive tree in God's house because you're soaking up the word. It gives us hope. You know, th this great promise about the scriptures um, that they, they are um, given to us for our encouragement and to give hope. The word enlightens our eyes and especially gives us insight into our sinfulness. You know, who, who knows their hidden faults? Answer, the only way you're able to find them, find them is through the word shining light on our hearts. Um, Hebrews 4.12, it's like this sword that cuts into our lives, into our hearts, and exposes the inner workings of our hearts. The word builds us up in holiness. It gives us power to resist sin. How shall a young man keep his way pure? Awfully hard, especially when we're young and the, the power of the world is, is particularly wrapping its tentacles around us. How will we resist? Answer, by living according to your word. Right? Um, the word is so sufficient that if you have it, you are completely equipped and well-supplied for every good work. And it will not return to God void. It will not return to God without accomplishing its purpose. Every single time the word is presented, God is at work. And every single time the word is heard, it is either creating more hardness in the heart of somebody, or it is creating more softness and tenderness to who is God and what, is, what has he accomplished. It's always accomplishing something. So we should expect big things. Um, how, how does, if you just, as you're reflecting on this sort of catalog of promises that accompany the word, how do you think it shape, should shape our expectations whenever we're coming to the word, whether it's, you know, personal Bible reading, reading in your, in, you know, in your family devotions or, you know, here at church? How should these promises affect your expectations about what's going to happen when, the, when this book is opened. Right, sorry. <laughs> yeah. Just, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we should expect God to revolutionize our lives, um, just totally kindle our passion for him. Um, there was a ruling elder in a couple churches back, um, 
who's all about the means of grace too, and uh, he's, he used to have this thing where he'd say, if you knew on Sunday that when you showed up at church, Jesus was going to come down and rip the roof off of the church and say, behold my glory, would you show up? <laughs> Probably, right? Well, guess what? You get even better, right? You actually get the living Christ through the word transforming your heart in the very depths of who you are. And yet, right, there's this sort of disconnect, right? Because ripping off the roof and like, whoa, that sounds really like kind of theatrical and like, you know, special effects, wow, kind of experience, right? Just a regular guy up there talking about the Bible doesn't sound so flashy, right? And, and yet we have to wrap our minds around like, it's actually even bigger than the roof getting ripped off the church, yeah. Huh? Yes. Exactly. Yeah, thank you so much. Yeah, that, that faith comes by hearing. How is your faith going to get stronger? By hearing more of the word. That's exactly right. How does God create new faith in the first place? By hearing the word. It's an incredibly powerful thing. And it informs the other two means of grace in massive ways. So let's look at those two. And then we'll reflect on some of like how we need to respond to some of these amazing gifts. Um, okay, so the sacraments is one of the other means of grace. Um, what happens in the sacraments? The ba in baptism and the Lord's Supper, Jesus says effectively, this one is in. This one is mine. I am marking this one as my own. And so, what's going on? Um, sacraments always follow the word. Whenever I'm going to do baptism, whenever we have the Lord's Supper, it's always preceded by the scriptures, right? And in particular, the Lord's Supper um, is following uh, the preaching of the word. It's very purposeful. Why is that? It's because it's like you receive a letter from the king. And, you know, just receiving the letter from the king is in itself sufficient to do all the amazing things we just said, right? But isn't it nice to have the official seal at the bottom that only the king can make, right? Like in the ancient world, they would put a little bit of wax down, and then the king would have this unique seal that he would impress into the hot wax. And so when you got the letter, you're like, only the king can make that. This is from him, right? This is authentic, in the same way, the sacraments function like that. They authorize and they seal the word so that when we, when we receive the sacraments, here's this tangible thing, you know, bread that you can actually feel, bread that you, you know, taste and, and you can touch it, and wine, you know, that you can drink and smell. Like, this, this is tangible signs that are sealing the word, saying, this word that you just heard, these promises you just heard, they are true for you, individual Christian, who is currently holding that sacrament in your hand or tasting it in your mouth. Okay, so there's a, there's a visibleness and a tangibleness to the sacraments, which um, doesn't happen for the word. That's why Calvin calls um, the sacraments um, visible words. I like that. And the purpose of the sacraments, the, the promises that come with them, 
is not just to assure us of God's love, not just to mark us as those who are in, but also to deepen our love for Christ and our union with him. And 1 Corinthians 10 is so important here. The cup of blessing that we drink, it is a participation, a sharing, a communion in the blood of Christ. Sounds like more than just a symbol or a memorial, right? There are certain Christian traditions that say, well, you know, we memorialize Jesus here, and it's sort of like, well, here's where we remember Jesus. Okay, are we remembering Jesus in the Lord's Supper? Absolutely. But is there more going on? Yes. And it's not that we're like eating and drinking his physical body and blood. That's another, another error. Um, it is bread and wine. What is happening? We, by taking that bread and wine into ourselves, remembering Jesus, we are entering into a deeper union and fellowship and communion with Christ that you can't get any other way. It is an awesome thing. The bread that we break is a participation in the body of Christ. And I love this quote from Robert Bruce. We do not get a better Christ in the sacraments than we do in the word, but we do often get Christ better. We get a stronger grasp on him through faith. Isn't that a striking way of saying it, right? Um, We are physical people. We were created with bodies, right? And so the sacraments are God saying, hey, your body was my idea. And I know that part of how you interact with truth is through what you experience with your senses. And so here I am giving you a tangible sign of my love. In the word I say that I love you, in the sacraments I show that I love you. So any, any thoughts on the sacraments and the amazing gifts that they are, um, their function as channels of God's grace? The, that encourages you just like with the word. There are great promises attending the sacraments. Um, you know, if somebody were to come to you and say, oh, you know, I'm a Christian, but I don't go to church. I know this is like a regular objection I'm always dealing with um, in this class. But like, particularly as you're thinking about the sacraments, what is that, what is that person missing out on? So let's say they're like a sermon junkie. Uh, person, you know, like they, they're constantly listening to good preaching, good stuff on the internet, right? They're, they're, you know, busting the podcasts and, you know, they're, they're absorbing the word. It's really excellent preaching, biblical stuff. What are they still missing? Yeah, fellowship. I mean, there's lots of things they're missing, right? <laughs> yeah, but particularly with the sacraments, what, what are they missing? Yeah. 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 yeah there's, a, there's kind of a, an anemic kind of experience of the gospel there. Where not all of our senses were fully engaged in the glory of who God is and what he's done. Yeah, Betty? Good, yeah. That's a good point, yeah. That's right, in, in broad evangelical culture, um, sacraments are just sort of, um, they're, not of, they're oftentimes not practiced rightly. Um, and we're gonna talk about this in a later class, the importance, whenever, church, whenever, um, whenever the sacraments are being practiced, it's an exercise of church power and authority. So what happens with the, the sacraments, the, 
the king, Jesus Christ, through his authorized representatives, the elders and pastors, is saying this person is in, authoritatively in, right? And that's part of why, you know, before somebody is baptized and they're like a new believer, right? They first profess their faith to the elders, right? And then the elders say, this is a credible profession of faith. Then we have them come before you all. They profess their faith. And the elders and pastors are there saying, by the authority Jesus has given us, we recognize this person as a believer in Jesus Christ. Therefore, when the sacrament is being poured out on them, it's an authoritative announcement from the king himself. So the king's seal should only be wielded by the king's messengers, right? And when we have the people arrogating to themselves the authority um, that Christ has only given to his officers, that's a serious, serious problem. So it needs to be the sacraments rightly administered to give the blessing. Do I see your hand? Yeah, Bob. Mm, yeah. Excellent, yeah. Yes. Yeah, excellent. That that's a great word, connection. That connection to Christ, to his people. Um it's so important again getting to the right administration of the sacraments. Part of why we don't do um, the sacraments just sort of like here's a little one-off thing for this individual person. It's always meant to be um, something that's exercised as, a, as an expression of the entire body of Christ. It's something we all do together um, is because it's not just a connection to Christ that we're experiencing in the sacraments, but a connection to each other, right? We all had the same waters of baptism poured out on us. We all are eating the same bread and, and drinking together um, of the same cup. Good. Okay, now let's talk about another means of grace, prayer. What are the promises that attend prayer? Well, amazing promises. We were just studying this in youth Bible study, Philippians 4-7. The peace of Christ that passes understanding will guard your hearts and your mind in Christ Jesus. When will that peace of Christ come? When we pray. Right? God will protect us. That's another word in there. He'll protect us. What's he protecting us from? He's protecting us from worry, right? He'll protect us from actual harm because we prayed. What will happen when we pray? Lots of things will happen, including healing. Forgiveness of sins comes when we ask God. That's a promise we often hear, right? 1 John 1, 9, if anyone confesses his sins, that means pray. Then God will be faithful and just to forgive the sins of the person who confessed and cleanse them of all unrighteousness. All manner of grace will come upon us. Um, you know, Hebrews 4, we approach the throne of grace to give us help in our time of need. Uh, prayer is like this, this channel of just gushing love from God to us. Um, God promises that he will give insight and understanding. A bunch of times in Proverbs, it says, anyone seek understanding? Let him cry. Let him ask. Um, James, uh, James 1, you know, do any of you lack wisdom? Well, let him ask the Father. Right? Um, 
Does anyone feel distant from God? We'll draw near to him in prayer. And he promises, whoever draws near to him, he will draw near to them. And he promises to answer our prayers. And I really like how Pastor Montgomery would talk about this, right? Um, he always gives you the, the answer, you know, an answer. It's either, you know, the answer <laughs> to what we ask or what we should have asked if we knew what he knew, right? <laughs> because he loves us. But he always answers. And so that's pretty amazing promises that come simply from praying. Uh, and it's so hard, right? Again, with, with all of these sacraments, there's such ordinary things. Um, and in the case of prayer, I think it's particularly it's challenging because it just feels so not powerful. <laughs> like, I just sort of uttered th this prayer in the silence of my heart. Nobody heard this outside of me and God. Did I accomplish anything? <laughs> I just spent, you know, I just woke up this morning and spent 15 minutes in prayer. Was that just entirely just whoop? God says no. Um, so when we talk about the means of grace, what, when we talk about grace that God gives us in prayer, remember, prayer is a way in which God blesses us. What, what, are, we, what are we needing to remember? Just summarize this back to me. When we're thinking about prayer and the promises that God attaches to prayer, what should we expect will happen when we pray? What should we expect will happen, particularly um, for us, when we pray? Deeper relationship with Christ, absolutely. How many, like, really old, seasoned saints um, have you heard pray and you're like, wow, I feel like I'm, I'm hearing someone who spends m more time beyond the veil than on, the, on our side, right? Um, that, that was what they used to say about um, Robert Murray McShane. He, when he prayed, you felt like you were um, going beyond the veil into the heavenly presence of God himself. Uh, I was just talking with an older minister who said, um, he was attending class with Sinclair Ferguson, and he said, you know, lectures aside, I would have paid just to hear that man pray. <laughs> right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, no, that, you know, that's a really great point, right? We talk about seasoned saints who are just so immersed in prayer um, that it really reflects um, in how they talk and, and just the, the, the joyful, rich fellowship they have with God in prayer, right? And we'd love to enter into that. But, like, for all of these promises, like, is it conditioned on being that kind of prayer warrior? I hope you see no, right? So, like... You know, for all of us who are thinking to ourselves, wow, that was a really scattered prayer that I just uttered. Like, half of my thoughts were um, completely disconnected. <laughs> like, I, would, my, I, would, I just spent 15 minutes praying, and, like, most of that time my mind was wandering. Like, right, well, do I get the promises too? <laughs> and the answer is yes, right? Um, yeah.
Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That's right. There's very much seasons in these things. And there's, there's I, I think it's kind of interesting how God surprises you, too. Right? You're just kind of doing your normal thing, but all of a sudden you're like really enjoying God's presence and just blessed, deeply joyful, or something hits you in the word where you're like, whoa, I wasn't expecting that, <laughs> that gift this morning, <laughs> right? Um, good, so let's, let's talk about um, a few clarifications on these means of grace. Um, it's really important as we talk about means of grace that we clarify here that we're not talking about, we shouldn't think of this as sort of like a substance that can be channeled or controlled. Okay, so this is kind of the medieval Roman Catholic view. Um, you, uh, the fancy term ex opere operato, by, by doing it, something happens. So, like, we, there's this idea that, like, if you just simply do the sacraments, you're going to simply be blessed, simply be by doing it, right? And it, what, it, what it does is it t- disconnects the need for true faith, to really enter into it by faith. Um, you can take the sacraments in an unworthy manner where it doesn't bless you. <laughs> it actually hardens you. And, and you're thinking that, like, I'm doing just fine now. Look, I just took the sacrament, and um, I don't need to repent of this thing, you know? Um, no, you can't control God's grace. Um, you can't say, and this is part of what frustrates us, right? Like, hey, I've been faithfully opening my Bible. I've been faithfully praying. I've been faithfully going to church and hearing the word and receiving the sacraments, and yet I don't feel powerful. I don't feel blessed. Well, that's because it's God's grace, his to control, not us. Instead, what we do when we take, when we attend to the means of grace, and I really love this illustration. When we attend to the means of grace, we are like Zacchaeus who is placing himself in the way of Jesus. We're going to the place where Jesus says, here's where I meet with you. And we're faithfully keeping our appointment with him and trusting that he will come and meet us in the way that seems best to him. So how, how is um, Zacchaeus, you know, climbing the tree, waiting for Jesus to come, how, how is that a, a helpful illustration? I'm hoping you guys are hearing this, like, how, how is waiting in the way for Jesus, how is that different from seeing um, the means of grace as this way where you just sort of, you press the button, out comes the Coke? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, there's a difference in heart attitude between those two things, right? I'm going to press the button, God's going to give me this, right? Versus, I'm going to go there, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be there where he says he meets with me. I'm going to trust him to be true to his promises. But I'm not going to say that like, I'm, I can control him, right? Or that I, I can say, demand he's going to meet me in, in these ways, right? Um, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Who's really in control in the means of grace, right? It is God, right? So... These are the channels. We attend to the channels. We go to the places where he says, 
here's where I meet with you. But we also don't say, well, God, I did all my things, and, you know, why didn't you meet me in the way I want, right? We should also remember that, um, of course, all three of these things, or the first and the third, I should say, word and prayer, are things that we can do also in the privacy of our own home and, and just all, all by ourselves, right? Um, and yet, we need to remember that in the scriptures, those means of grace are especially potent in corporate worship. And Hebrews 12, 22 is a pretty awesome passage. Let's just look there again. Um, this is one of those places where when you, s- when you sit in this uh, text for a little bit and you realize what he's saying, you're like, oh my. Just remember, um, the letter to the Hebrews is a sermon. At the end, he says, um, verse 22, I appeal to you, brothers, this is 13, 22, I appeal to you, brothers, bear with my word of exhortation. This is something that was made to be written, read aloud. He wrote it to be read aloud to the people of God in corporate worship. The only other place in the scriptures where we hear the, the phrase word of exhortation is in a synagogue, Acts 13, where Paul and Barnabas are preaching to the people of God gathered together, right? So I, here's this word of exhortation. He's talking to them as brothers, plural. What's happening when the people of God are gathering together? Remember how he says in the book of Hebrews, let us not neglect the gathering together as is the habit of some. Right? Why, why should we not neglect the gathering together as is the habit of son, some? Well, twelve twenty-two. You have come to Mount Zion into the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem and to innumerable angels in festal gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. What is our location in worship, according to what we just read? What is our location? Where have you come to? The throne room, yes. The heavenly Mount Zion. You're like, no, wait a second. We're at 101 East National Road, Vandalia, Ohio. (laughs) Uh, Well, yeah. But in a very real sense, when that word of benediction, or when that word of salutation happens, grace, mercy, and peace to you, you have just entered the very throne presence of God Almighty. And you are presently in that moment in the presence of the innumerable angels in festal array, all the souls of the righteous made perfect who have gone before us, including all your beloved lost loved ones who are actually in Christ um, before, before the throne of God, and to God, the judge of all, to Jesus Christ. You have entered the throne. You've entered the place where the blood of Jesus was presented for your atonement. Like, you've entered, you know, the Holy of Holies where the high priest can only enter once per year, right? Um, That was just a shadow of the place where Jesus entered and then sat down, right? It's the throne room of God. What's the ark? It's the throne of God. 
Jesus entered there, he turned around and sat down, and then he says, hey, all of you who belong to me, I want you to come into this most holy place. By the way, I made you worthy. And so that's what we do every single Lord's Day. So should we not expect in Lord's Day worship when we meet God? And by the way, it's not just morning worship, but evening worship too has those promises attending us. That is also throne presence worship, right? Should we not expect wow things, like amazing transformative grace gifts to just usher forth? Like we are currently at the place where the fountain of grace is just blasting forth. <laughs> Pretty amazing. So we should expect that the word will come with particular power. The sacraments will come with particular grace. That the, prayer, the gifts that we normally get in prayer will be heightened when we all pray together. Um, I hope we never get over how awesome that is. <laughs> yeah, Anna. Oh, great question. Yeah, so why is worship not listed as one of the means of grace? That is a great question. I mean, on, on one level, I think part of the reason why is that worship is made up of these means of grace, right? Um, so are, are you maybe focusing more on singing? Like, why is singing not? Yeah. I mean, I think if we think of, if we think of places where God has promised to bless us, singing certainly attend, has many promises attended to it as well, right? Uh, places where God will will grant us great joy, right? Um, so um, I think probably the reason why they focus on these three is that this is where we have the greatest concentration of promises of grace. Um, not to diminish singing at all. Um, and indeed, what are we doing when we're singing if not singing our prayers, right? So in a sense, all the promises that attend prayer are attending singing as well, yeah. Right, right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we're going to talk about alternative views about how to find God's grace um, in a moment. Yeah. One more thing before we talk about just um, some of those clarification or uh, some of those like other views. Second um, Peter 1 is an amazing passage when we're talking about the means of grace. So here's Peter. He's at the end of his life. He says, I know I don't have many more days left. And one of the things that's on his mind is he rem he's remembering the Mount of Transfiguration. Like, that was a real pinnacle in his experience. Remember that when Jesus, before he was crucified, he takes the three up, and Peter's one of them, right? And they go to the, the top of the mountain. What happens? Jesus is transformed and becomes luminescent in glory. Like, he's, he's magnificent in glory. And they get a little, little window before he's glorified into what he's going to be, what he's going to look like after his resurrection, and he says, look, we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. This is Second Peter 1.16. And so, he, and he recalls it, you know, he remembers the voice um, born from, by the majestic glory, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. That's what God said on the mountaintop, right? And then he says, look, we ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain, the mountain of transfiguration. And then he says this, and we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed 
to which you do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts, knowing this first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of men, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So he's talking about Scripture, and he says, look, we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed. We have the prophetic word even better, to which you should do well to pay attention as to a lamp in a dark place. What's that thing that's even better, that's even a greater confirmation of the glory of God? It's the Word. So Peter's saying to us, look, you think it was awesome for us to be on the mountain of transfiguration? It was awesome. It was great seeing the glory of Jesus. But guess what? You have something now even better that's even more sufficient and going to have even greater impact and that is the prophetic word that is given with even greater confirmation um, as the, do the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. The scriptures are that lamp shining in a dark place for you. So, the kingdom of God comes through the means of grace, through preaching, through sacraments, through prayer. There are awesome promises attending all three of these. What happens to us in the church when we look to other things besides the means of grace to accomplish its mission? Well, here are just a few. Fads, movie clips, lasers and smoke machines, and rock and roll. <laughs> Can, yeah, zip lines, pastors zip lining into the, the thing. Um, I'm sure I have no idea what goes on. But um, yeah. What's, what's, why do, why do churches do that? There's a lot of, there's a big entertainment factor, right? Like that, like that's some, that's some serious like wow factor, right? When you, you go to church and like all of a sudden, you know, the smoke machines and like the light and everything, like that's like, whoa, you know, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah, good. So there's a difference in understanding about what is the church, what is worship for? Um, is it primarily about unbelievers or is it about strengthening those in the faith, right? And so this is a place where God meets with his people and we do invite outsiders to come, right? Um, but even, you know, especially with the Lord's Supper, their li participation will be limited, right? Um, yeah. need to be fed that's right yeah so there's a missing of part of the mission of the church right it's not just about bringing in the unbeliever but it's also about feeding those who desperately need feeding now that they've been brought in um, yeah and I think too like um, you know there's a sense of like well back in the day when there wasn't like you know projectors and movies and stuff people had to get along as best they could with just, you know, preaching and a guy talking. But now we have special effects. And wouldn't you, isn't it, isn't it better to see like a movie 
of the Bible story than to actually hear the Bible story? Isn't there greater wow factor and like greater impact and greater emotional appeal to seeing it on screen dramatized or enacted like as a skit up front? Isn't there greater impact there? Um, one of my pastors talked about receiving this appeal from like the Jesus video um, organization and the story was that they were in some remote context and um, the video machine broke and so they weren't able to show the Jesus video and so what are we going to do for all of these unbelievers who don't get to see the Jesus video? And my pastor is like, you know, really angry <laughs> at the letter. He's like, well, any believer there could have gotten up and said, I, I declare to you what Jesus has done. And that would have been even better, right? Because that's God's way. That's the means that he's ordained. None of these things, none of these fads are God-ordained means. These are man-made means, yeah. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah, and that's an important thing you're bringing out. I think that um, we need to remember that a lot of the brothers and sisters who are doing these things are really doing this with very good intentions. Like, there's great sincerity of, like, we really want people to know Jesus, right? I want to serve the Lord, and, and there's a lot of work they're doing to do these things, um, and that's that's a good desire, right? So we want we want to honor that, um, but we also want to do it according to His Word, and that's the key here. Yeah. Right. 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 As long as we're not breaking any of God's commands, we're free to do whatever we want. That's the, the normative principle. The regular principle, regulative principle, which is what we're saying here, is we only want to do what God has commanded us to do in worship. Um, we don't get to invent our own ways of approaching God, our own ways of um, seeking Him. Um, and that's a really important thing, right? Nadab and Abihu brought the strange fire. Um, they said, well, you know, why not do this? And God consumed them, right? So he, He's a God who's holy, and He tells us how He wants to be approached. Um, Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, and it's it's that whole point of them thinking they're not violating anything, and yet when we actually talk about where does God promise to meet us, right? Like that's where these three means of grace have things attached to them that no movie or light show ever has, right? Um, and same thing goes with um, you know 
the modern church growth movement with all its consultants, marketing, business best practices, and CEO pastors, again, this is like looking at all these things, how do, how do businesses and other industries make a huge impact? Well, let's copy those guys. Well, are there things we can learn from those um, things? Yeah, and in all of this, we do want to recognize that there, are, there is a place for you know, recognizing how um, good communication happens, right? So like we have a website, right? It's just how people find places now, right? I'm not saying that that's a bad thing, but what I am saying is that when our trust becomes in the consultants, the marketing, the business best practices, instead of what God said about here's how growth happens, um, we've got a problem. Um, we need to be aware that culturally, as Americans, we are pragmatists. We are, we are in, as, as, a, as a rule, we are not idea people as much as we are doer people practical, right? And we need to recognize that, that influences our temptations in the church. Um, is prayer practical? Is prayer a church growth strategy? Right? Like, doesn't feel like it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's right. Mm -hmm. That's right. Yeah. That's, I think that's a nice way of putting, like, what's the temptation to trust in what we can see? All these are things we can see. What is faith? Faith is saying, well, God promised that all these blessings would come from these very kind of humble means. Again, think of Jesus handing to us a book bread, wine, saying, go make disciples, <laughs> transform the world. Um, and yet, we do see those things as powerful because of what God said. Um, and so it does require faith. Um, I think another, just a place where we tend to bypass the means of grace is conferences. Um, it used to be big tent revivals in the 1800s. That's where the real excitement was at. And so a lot of people forsook their local church and the means of grace where you've got this sort of regular guy pastor, right? And they went and to listen to the mega dude, the, the, the all-star guy at the big tent where lots of big, exciting, dramatic things happen. A similar pattern happens today in the mega conference where all the big speakers come, right? And like what ordinary pastors we, we just can't hold a candle to you know the john pipers and the tim kellers and everybody right like we're we're just regular guys and so what happens you know we have these substitute experiences of the mountaintop instead of going to the place where god actually says you're at the mountaintop which is everyday lord's day worship <laughs> yeah yeah parachurch organizations same pattern that's right yeah, um, well, you know, the church isn't doing its job, so we're just going to do our own thing over here, um, and we'll do it better. Right, yeah, that's right. Ray Ortland says it really nice. If we long for our churches to experience more of this awakening power in the gospel, the remedy is not to invent our own delivery systems for God's grace. There are no promises that attend our own 
delivery systems. And this is just a reason why we have such a simple sanctuary and do non-flashy things in worship. And I wanted to ask you, just this is just sort of a rhetorical question, but do you honestly believe that you, that, that hearing is better than seeing? Do you honestly believe that when God says, don't make images of me, I want you to experience my grace, and the best way to experience it is by listening to my word. You honestly believe that God's going to meet you. It may not be wow you in the, in the sense of like the way you're wowed by an awesome concert, right? But it may be powerful in a quieter way in a much better and deeper way, right? Um, we don't want to be neglecting the means of grace um, yeah. Do we see this as like as important? What we're doing right, we're about to do in the Lord's Day. Do we see this as important as like eating lunch and breakfast and dinner? Right, getting our sleep. It's that simple, and that necessary. And then this last question I think is important too. Why is it important that we embrace the non-flashy approach? Um, a number of reasons. Um, it gives us. Reliance on the Spirit, not on human effort, right? It's gonna, if God's going to bless us, it's going to be because he, he comes to meet us. And I, I have it, you know, expecting the ho-hum seasons, right? Being okay with the fact that you're not, like, in this sort of euphoric state that you feel, you know, perhaps after you've just experienced this amazing, you know, amazing concert, this amazing movie that you saw, whatever. Those are, those are great times when you're just sort of like, that was amazing, and we can get this false standard where we say, if I'm not feeling that was amazing after I've read my Bible this morning or gone to church, I must not really be an authentic, deep, awesome Christian. Well, what if the ordinary means of grace, that sort of regular walk-in with Jesus, what if that, that wasn't one of the things that necessarily has to always go with it? Maybe sometimes, right? God can surprise us and wow us, and we're just like so deeply moved. And other times it's like, I'm eating my daily bread, and he's sustaining me, right? Any thoughts about this as we're thinking about the means of grace? And Yeah. Yeah. That's a great analogy, yeah. Right. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. No. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. Do we really? Do we want to love God in the way He wants to be loved? Right. Let Him tell us the terms. We're we willing to come to Him on His terms. Well, I hope that you are, and I hope that um, it excites you what God promises he'll do through these humble means. So let's pray and ask him to be true to his word. Lord, we do thank you for these amazing promises that attend these very humble things, um, the word, sacraments, and prayer. We thank you that these humble means are actually sufficient for the making of disciples 
and the building of your church and the advancement of your kingdom in this world that though the church seems very, very weak and to lack all the power and all the flashiness and all of the resources that the world has for drawing people to itself, that actually these things, these humble things, are better. Help us to believe that, help us to live that, and help us to have good and right and appropriately big expectations when we come to these means of grace, that this is the place where you promised to meet us, and we pray that you would. In Jesus' name.